Last Sunday, we uh, were talking about Psalm 22, Christmas and the cross, and looking at the connection between a Christmas and the cross through Psalm 22. It's a beautiful, amazing, prophetic psalm. And uh, did you enjoy looking at that psalm? Do you remember that from last Sunday? It's an amazing psalm. And uh, uh, I was hoping to convey, I, I was just blessed studying the psalm and uh, just hope that came across and you were blessed as well. I wanted to kind of, uh, again, as we're in the Advent season, I wanted to stay in the Old Testament and I wanted to look at another piece of uh, prophecy that Isaiah spoke that looks towards the coming of the Lord and particularly the coming of John the Baptist. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to get there, Isaiah 40, and we'll get there in just a second. I read a, uh, I, was, I was looking, hey Doug, you'll be proud of me. I was looking up some uh, Christmas jokes. I know, I know. I, you are the master, I am, but your student, but... Um, I found a, a pretty good one. Here you go. There was this elderly widow who she, she couldn't get out to do a lot of her own Christmas shopping anymore. Those days were, were past her. And so she thought that what she would do is she lived far away from where her grandchildren were. So she decided that she was going to send her grandchildren a Christmas card with a check inside. And so uh, she did, and a few days after the cards were gone and, and mailed off, she realized that she forgot to include the checks. And so all of her grandchildren opened their cards and found a note inside that simply said, buy your own presents, love grandma. <laughs> Wasn't exactly what she wanted to convey. That was not bad, eh, Doug? Uh, he's waving at me. That was all right. Yeah, right. The Carol, Joy to the World. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it is a, a fact of my read somewhere around the middle of the 20th century. It was the most popular Christmas song that's been ever recorded, Joy to the World. It's been recorded and sung and re-sung uh, all over the world hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, the, the writer, Isaac Watts, he wrote the song, well, he might have wrote it before, but it was published in the year 1719. Do you imagine that? 1719. And it's one of the most popular songs ever. He, it's a brilliant song, and it's lasted for centuries. We're talking, uh, what's that, 300 years almost. 300 years, and we're still singing the dude's song. I mean, imagine. Songs now, we come and go, they're gone in a week. You know, you don't remember the song from last year, last week. Here's this guy writes this brilliant song. 300 years later, we're still singing it. And I wanted to just, uh, I, I just wanted to remind you of the connection uh, to this song and even uh, this, this piece in Isaiah. He, the, the words of the first verse, you know them. They say, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him, right, and heaven and nature sing. This is the idea that I want to convey today. Prepare him room. 
This is what Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 40. You know, there's a part of us that when we enter the Christmas season, when we're in this Advent season, there's a, there's a sense of preparation to it all, I think, that we all feel. Like I said earlier, have you got your gifts done? You know, we prepare our house with lights. Well, at least some of us do. How are your lights, Vic? <laughs> so we, we prepare our houses with light. He was a Scrooge one year and didn't put up lights, and I just never let him forget it. That's all. That's just nothing. So we prepare our houses with lights. We, we, we put up our decorations. We prepare our gifts. We, we prepare food um, and lots of other things that we do to prepare for the Christmas season and for the Christmas day. And I wanted to remind us all that what we can't forget to do in the midst and the busyness of it all is, is, is to forget that we, we, we must, don't forget that we must prepare him room. We must prepare more room for him in our hearts. We need the Savior's love and we need to prepare more room. So look at Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. It's on the screen. It says this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Really neat piece of, of, uh, of Scripture. Just like, other, uh, just like many other Old Testament prophecies, there's, there's uh, an immediate meeting and uh, an immediate mean, meaning and also a future fulfillment, and you see that both here. I, uh, Israel had been taken into captivity in Babylon. They had been there for a long time and uh, for years, and God uh, is now speaking to them and giving them hope, saying, get ready, for there is coming a day, and it will, won't be very long, where your sad days will be gone, where the Lord has punished you for what you've done, and now deliverance and freedom and healing and victory are coming your way. And he gives them this prophetic word. Isaiah, the, the whole book is actually, there's a, there's a marked difference. Uh, in fact, chapter 40 almost marks the turn in Isaiah. The first 39 verses are, are basically doom and gloom, that, the, that they've been taken captive. There's a lot of issues going on. There's difficulties. There's challenges. But then in verse, or, uh, chapter 40, to, all the way to the end, uh, all the way to 66, it turns, and God begins to say, it's coming. Comfort is coming. Victory is coming. Deliverance is coming. Prepare, get ready, make way, make way, get ready, because it's coming. And all of a sudden, the whole book turns right here on chapter 40. Um, so there's clearly a point where he's talking to the Israelites in Babylon, but we also understand that... Uh, that he's saying something more, that, that the prophet Isaiah is telling the people the time of suffering and punishment is coming to an end, but it also clearly points to John the Baptist and John the Baptist's role in preparing the way 
for the coming of Jesus. Uh, Look at Luke 3, verse 3. It says, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills will be made level, the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth, and then all people will see the salvation from God. So this idea of preparation, it applies to Israel as they're waiting for their freedom from Babylon. It actually applies to the people in Jesus' day as they were waiting for their Savior to arrive to free them and to release them from the Roman Empire and from their sin. It actually even still applies to us because we are waiting for the second advent. Amen? We are still waiting for him to come again. And so you have to keep yourselves prepared. There's a preparation that needs to go on so that, that you're ready right? We have to keep ourselves prepared, keep ourselves ready, that you have to give him room in your heart, prepare that room. And there's a voice that's calling us to prepare the way, to clear the road, to make room, to be, to be receptive, to be more open, to, to be able and ready to receive more of his spirit. This is the call that's on us. First, he says, put up for me verse 3, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. So the the word desert, wilderness, wasteland, uh, in the Bible, it doesn't always just refer to a geographical location, but many times it it also refers to a condition that we feel on the inside. And, you know, we've all been through it. You know, when you feel like you're just going through a difficult time. You're going through that desert place, that wasteland place. You feel empty, hollow. God feels far away. It's that difficult time, that that barren place, that thirsty place. It's a difficult place to live. And at times in our lives, we feel that on the inside, that your spirit's dry. You're feeling disconnected from God. And we're all in need of that living water. So this voice cries out to us while we are in the desert. And that's what I I wanted to point out to you today. He calls out to us while we're in the desert. He calls out to us in our times of doubt. He calls out to us in our times of wilderness. He calls out to us when we're feeling tired. He calls out to us in those times when we feel abandoned. That God was and still is meeting people in their times of darkness. Amen? This is what he does. Um, Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So even in the times of darkness, the voice is calling out to us, right? This is the point, that a Savior is born, that a light will shine in the darkness. God is coming into the mess. He's coming into the brokenness. He's He's coming into the sin. He's coming into the hardness of our lives. I I think about Zachariah and Elizabeth, the mom and dad of John. They're living with the pain of wanting a child but not being being able to to get one. She just couldn't get pregnant. And now she's old. 
and God comes and does a miracle in her old age, and John the Baptist is born. There's a whole story there that many of you know. But he's the one that would prepare the way for Jesus. The world is in a really dark place. There's been no prophets. There's been a big time of darkness. God hasn't spoken. The world is in need. And Jesus steps in to the, to the wasteland. Jesus steps into the wilderness, to the darkness. Herod is, is there, and you know he's a key figure. He's a, he's a paranoid freak, basically. He's, he's brilliant, but yet psychotic at the same time. He was the, he was the guy that would kill anyone he thought was a threat to him. He killed wives, he killed brothers, he killed anyone that got in his way. He didn't want anyone to take his throne. And so he would, he would kill you if you looked at him the wrong way. I, I, I mean, you even know the, you know the story, he even had all the boys under two in Bethlehem killed trying to get rid of the baby Jesus when he heard it from the, from the Magi. So this, this is a dark, dark time ruled by dark people, and Jesus enters into the mess of it all. And time and time again, we see God giving hope to people when they need it the most. He calls to us in our wilderness times. I mean, just think about the time when your life is going great. Sometimes, you know, you don't pray as much, you don't feel God as much, because you kind of, you know, in that sense, you don't, you don't feel the need of God so much. But when you feel the need when you're walking through a time of difficulty, trial, wilderness, and you call out to him, he's calling out to you. That's the beautiful thing, that, that he, he calls to us in the wilderness. He calls to us to say, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to give light and love and hope and peace and all the things that Christmas brings, right? See, the wonder of Christmas, this is the thing that I, I think sometimes we forget as we get older. Sometimes we think that Christmas is for kids because they get all jacked up and excited about gifts and presents and, and oh, to have that much joy and fun and all that stuff. But here's the thing. It's really for all of us. And, 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 and why I say that is this, that the longer that we live, the longer you live, the more that you're going to have to face the reality of life. The more you're going to have to face challenges, the more you're going to, to run into difficulties and dark times, the older we are, the more stuff we go through. That's just the bottom line. And so the, the, the hope, like think about the themes of Advent, that the hope, the joy, the peace, the love, all those things that we need in times of trial, this is what Jesus brings. Yeah, Sure, it's fun to get gifts, and it's great for kids to get excited, but those toys break fast. You know, all those things go. This, the, 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 the lasting thing for us, and especially as you get older, is to realize that you actually need Christmas more than you did when you were a child, that you need that joy. You need that peace. You need that hope. You need that love. You need that more as you get older. And this is the hope that he brings. This is really what Christmas is about. He calls into the darkness and he tells us to get ready, to make room in our lives to receive him. That the hope, joy, peace, love, all these things, the themes of Advent, they are coming our way. Look at what he says, Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing 
the Babylonians to flee in those ships that they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is the hope that he pours out, not only into the children of Israel, but into us as well. It's that call into the wilderness. So Isaiah 40, verse 3 and 4, if you go to that, it says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, and smooth out the rough places. This is what he says. So the question then becomes, how do you prepare? How do you do this? If he's calling to us, if he's calling to us, Prepare him room. Get ready for his arrival. Get ready for the light to shine in the midst of darkness. Get ready for God's deliverance, God's healing, God's power to come into your life. Get ready. How do you prepare for that, right? So he says, you know, uh, straighten out the road, you know, uh, fill in the valleys, level the mountains and all these things. So it's, you know what it really is? It's a call to us to make ourselves receptive to make ourselves ready, willing, and able to receive him and to remove all that would hinder us from receiving what he wants to give. Now, there are things in our lives that get in the way between us and God. It's that, that mountain in your life that is a God blocker. It, it could be pride. It could be sin. It could be a relationship. It could be something that's just not right, and it seems to block his path it, you, that you haven't quite got that right in a way. Now, he's going to come and help you make it right, but there's a sense that you prepare yourself as well, that you make straight the highway through the wasteland, that you fill the valleys and level the mountains. And this is language that people would understand that would refer to when a king was coming to town. So a king is coming to town and they prep for his arrival and so they fix the road, they make it straight, they don't want the king to drive through you know, their town in his carriage and have potholes on the road or, or, you know, or debris on the side, that when the king arrives, they prepare the road, right? Think about it even now, when the prime minister or the U.S. president goes anywhere, they still prepare the way for him. Now they don't clean up the road, well, they kind of do, but now they just put 100 snipers on the tall buildings and, you know, pre prepare the way that way. But, but you, know what I mean, you know what I mean? But they, they still prepare the way, right? They still go out of their way to make sure that it's safe, that it's right, that it's going to be okay, welcoming for the king or the president or the prime minister to arrive. And this is the language that Isaiah is talking to the, Israel, uh, to the Israelites about. You know what I'm talking about, that preparation needs to be made for the arrival of the king, right? You, we, it, the Advent season is a time of preparation. 
that we prepare for his arrival, that we, that we fix what needs to be fixed, that we, we straighten out what needs to be straightened, that we get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of, that we, that we do that work and we set the table for the king to arrive. This is the call, right? This is how we prepare. Preparations need to be made. See, the idea is to make it easy for the king to arrive. The idea is that Jesus wants direct access to our lives. He wants those mountains to be leveled. He wants the valleys to be filled. He wants you to do all you can to be ready for his coming, to to be more and more receptive to him, to prepare him room in your life and in your heart. See, he wants the obstacles between you and him to be gone. He wants them to be removed. And so make the necessary preparations to, to receive him. Make the necessary preparations to give him more room. Look at Matthew 5, 8. It says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. See, sin is always a God blocker. Pride is always a God blocker. And when those things are conquered in our lives, then we begin to prepare the road in a beautiful way for the arrival and the power of the Holy Spirit to be in us and on us in a greater way. John the Baptist told the people to repent and to get prepared for the arrival of the Messiah. Now, what's interesting is that John... uh, uh, Well, actually, let me just read this first. So Matthew 3, verse 1 to 8. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and and wild honey. He was a really weird dude, clearly. And uh, uh, people from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. His call was repent, get ready, prepare the road for for the king is soon to come, right? And so this was his message, this very powerful message. He preached repentance as a key to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. In fact, they were actually the first recorded words. I don't know if you know this or not. But the first recorded words of John were this, and the first recorded public ministry words of Jesus were the same. Very interesting. Uh, So John, look at this, um, Matthew 3, 1 and 2. Go back to the next one, yeah. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Here's the first words he ever said that we have record of. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you know, when Jesus began his public ministry after he was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and the first words he spoke when he began his public ministry were Matthew 4, 17. 
go to that one, and it says this, from then on, he comes out, and then it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. This was the first words, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He virtually parrots exactly what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist began his ministry by saying these words. Jesus begins his public ministry by saying these words. There's, there's, something, there's something there that we need to grasp. It's clearly one of the keys that we need to make the way straight for the arrival, for, for the arrival of the king, to, to let him come into our lives. Look at what Isaiah says a few chapters earlier, Isaiah 35. When he comes... He will open the eyes of the blind and he will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived and a great road will go through that once deserted land and it will be named the highway of holiness. Interesting. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will, it will be only for those who walk in God's ways, and fools will never walk there. This is the road. We walk that road, and we prepare the way for his coming, that the highway of holiness is for those who walk in God's ways. This is the place where we best experience his presence. It's the place where we best experience his power. It's the place where we best experience his love, his blessing, his goodness. All the things that he wants to give, they can be found right there. When, when we walk on that road, when we do all that we can to prepare the way for him. We walk that road even when it feels dark. We walk that road even when it feels difficult. We walk that road even when no one is looking. This is the key, right? It's the road that leads to life. And Jesus said, few find it, right? But here's the thing. It is, it is the path that he calls us to walk. And that as we walk in in, in unity and harmony and with his power, that we're walking in holiness, our lives prove that we have been changed and transformed, that we don't just say words, but our lives prove that our words are true. And in that road, in that place, this is where he comes. This is where we best experience him. In fact, Isaiah 40 goes on to say this in verse 5. He says, so after you've fill, filled in all the valleys and the mountains, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then look what he says. Then, key word there, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together and the Lord is spoken. So listen, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed whether people like it or not one day. That's the bottom line. But when, when you want to prepare him room, when you want to walk in his power, then walk in his ways is what he's saying. You want to walk with me, then walk in my way. And when you're walking on that road, that highway of holiness, then you're going to experience my presence. My glory is going to be revealed in your life. I'm going to use you in great ways. I'm going to help you get through the dark times. I'm going to bring comfort to my people. I'm going to tell you that your sad days are gone, that your sin is pardoned, that you are a child of the Most High, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are mine. 
And there is power and beauty and goodness in that. But you must walk that path, right? You, we must walk and be and let him transform us like that. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. God promises that his glory will be seen. He promises that his glory will be experienced. So the ultimate fulfillment of all of that, of course, is the coming of Jesus. It's the Advent season. John 1.14, look at what John said. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And here it is. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He is the ultimate glory of God. He, he is God's glory, God's perfect goodness is revealed to the world through Jesus. See, we're blessed not because of our glory, not because of our goodness, but because of his, right? Remember Dennis the Menace, that cartoon strip? Is he still? That's probably long ago, right? But anyway, I remember seeing one, and it said this, Dennis the menace and his buddy, he can't remember, his friend, they were walking out of Mrs. Wilson's house. And you, if you know Mrs. Wilson. And Mrs. Wilson loved him and Mr. Wilson wasn't, he wasn't so sure. But anyway, Dennis and his friend are walking out of Mrs. Wilson's kitchen. And both of them have cookies in both their hands. And these two little boys are walking out of the kitchen with cookies in both hands. And Dennis's friend says, what did we do to deserve these cookies? And Dennis said, Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're nice. We get these cookies because Mrs. Wilson is nice. And I went, yes, that is God. We experience his glory. We experience his peace, his love, his joy, his hope, not because of my glory or goodness, not because of something that I've earned or something that, that I deserve. It's, it's because he is good. It's because he is lovely. It's because he is wonderful. It's because he can't help but pour out blessing into the lives of his children. He's, he's just a fountain that overflows, looking for ways to bless his people. This is the kind of God we are, that, that we serve, that we have. And so it's important for us to realize that his glory is revealed to us, not because we deserve it, but because he is good. And when we walk in his way, when we walk on that highway of holiness, when we live the life that he looks and he's proud of us, that he, he calls us and he, he looks for ways to fill us and empower us and use us. God, like we said last week, he so loved the world that he gave his son. He so loved us that he gave his son. So the glory and the goodness of God is revealed. And that, that really is the source of our Christmas joy. So listen, as we get older, don't lose the wonder of Christmas. Don't let it... When we're kids, we love the toys and we love the presents and it's all a wonderful thing. But as we grow and mature and get deeper into the things of God, the wonder of Christmas is actually needed more in your life than when you were five or six. You need that hope. You need that joy. 
You need that peace. You need his glory. You need his strength. So walk on that highway of holiness and set the table and prepare him room to come. This is the message that Isaiah tries to give to us. This is the source. He is the source of our Christmas joy. I wanted to show you this, um, this video clip. Some of you will have seen this before. Uh, I've shown it before, but it, I, I believe that it really fits our theme this morning. Go ahead and play it. My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. And that's when I realized the good news she was talking about. experience the good news, you've got to create space in your heart. Prepare him room to receive what he wants to give to you today. He calls us out of the wilderness. He calls into the wilderness. And he instructs us to make the path straight, to get ready, to prepare for the arrival of the king. And when the prep is done, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. So joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature are going to sing.